Hey guys, if you are a father who would like to have a deeper relationship with your son, if you have a son that you're trying to pour into and develop, if you want to help your son see the greatness that you know he has in his life, I've got a very special event coming up June 23rd through 27. We are going to be in Cleveland National Forest. My father's coming with me, Who my, the man who you hear me talk about all the time, who helped me become who I've become in life. We're going to be doing a father-son rite of passage event, Map and Compass Land Navigation. I'll be teaching you how to use Map and Compass in the exact same place that I learned in Navy SEAL training. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You'll, rem- you'll have these memories for the rest of your life. If you want to find out more, you can click the link in the description below. We've only got 16 spots available and we've already sold a few of those you can find out more at the impossible.life slash legacy navigators when you have limited beliefs it really is an extremely life-changing negative thing um so for example me when i when i saw that no one had ever been a type one and i or type one pro bodybuilder um and, and I went out and I sought out to do that. And then it turned into more than I ever even had any goals. I mean, you know, multiple Olympias and traveling the world and making lots of money and yeah. covers of magazines and all this, all this cool stuff that I never even envisioned. It was simply just started with a belief. So if they can take something from that, don't let your beliefs, Henry, we've already got enough going on against this. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. That's impossible. Let me tell you what I believe. But your weakness is not your technique. Yes! Yes! Don't think you are. Know you are. The Impossible Life Podcast. I mean, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. This is the Impossible Life Podcast. Because Nick and I are attempting to live impossible lives. What we know is that nothing is impossible. So instead of using impossible as an excuse to not try, we'll use the pursuit of impossible as an accelerant for greatness. If something's never been done before, that just means it's unexplored. If they tell you it's too hard, it's just waiting to be simplified. Impossible is a default label used by uncourageous people unwilling to take a risk. The real truth is this. The solution to any impossible task starts with this question. If I had to, what would it take? Welcome to another episode of The Impossible Life. I'm your co-host, Nick Surface. I'm sat across from a man who, as a young boy, got separated from his parents on vacation in the country of Zamunda. Eight months later, they discovered him, where he had become part of the Aborigines, living only off of sand and drinking water from streams. That's right, folks. The former Navy SEAL, my co-host... Garrett Unklebach. That was elaborate. Yeah. What was I doing with the sand? I mean, that's what you were eating. Was I eating eating it? Yeah, that's what you're eating. That's why you have such a strong stomach. Yeah, okay. I mean, you you would live the story. You should know it. (laughs) Right, of course. For the record, that intro actually went on a lot longer. I was going to talk about how you had your name and you were called Wuhaka by the locals. But, uh, you know, we've got a special guest here. I didn't want to spend too much time. I am down to go live with the aboriginals. That would be so epic. Well, side shout out. Those dudes are all jacked, by the way. Are they? Yeah, okay. they don't eat sugar. Well, is that they just run around and kill stuff? Like 
there's every Aboriginal male has a six pack. So yes, I'm down to live with those guys. Well, there you go. Now you know the standards for what makes a country that Garrett would live in. Just as long as dudes have six packs. That's not kind of weird, dude. But speaking of six packs, we have a guy. Yeah, respect for us. the low body fat. Yeah, that is respect. Let it go, bro. <laughs> we are sat with a guy today. Very special guest. We have Jason. Is it Poston or Poston? Am I saying it right? Poston. Poston. A lot of people say Poston, but it's yeah. Poston. I should ask you that beforehand, so I apologize for that. But we have Jason Poston with us. Jason Poston is a man who is known for being a professional bodybuilder, but really, the first thing I notice, the guy looks like the Lego god himself, formed a beard out of plastic and snapped it onto his face. I mean, your beard is unbelievable. It's legit. It is, like, ridiculous. It's a good day today. I, mean, I have beard We're envy. coming out of the uh, ice storm here, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, everyone's getting cleaned up today now that we can actually go somewhere. Well, it's it's amazing. I got to, you know, that's probably the weird way to introdu- introduce you. You've got done a lot more. So let's get to the stuff that's maybe a little bit more interesting to people. So Jason was a professional bodybuilder for four years. He was a four-time Mr. Olympia contestant, twice finishing third. He had a number of first-place finishes in there as well, including first place in uh, – 2014 at the Europa Show of Champions in Orlando. You got first place in the New York Pro, first place in the Europa Phoenix Pro Championship, and then you finished second in the Arnold Classic Ohio, which gets special mention because it's got Arnold's name in it. So, I mean, you've gun scaled the heights on bodybuilding and done a lot of amazing things. But what people may not know about you is that you are a type 1 diabetic, and at the age of 28, you weren't even doing anything with bodybuilding. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, no, I I was lifting weights. I, mean, I love lifting weights. I've probably been lifting weights for 10 years, but I, I worked out more for athleticism and performance. It was all functional training. So it wasn't about sculpting or building a physique for a look. It was about sports performance, health, uh, just simply having fun with working out and, and not any type of like strict purpose, right? With bodybuilding, we have one purpose. It's to build and sculpt a physique that, uh, looks good on stage and, and wins competitions. Yeah, and I want to get so much more into that. We're going to be talking today about choice, which is ultimately the strongest muscle you've got. You're a strong dude, Jason. I mean, my first question, uh, now that I am not allowed to ask about your beard anymore since we covered that, how much you bench? Hey, well, first of all, <laughs> let me talk about this beard. I tell all my friends and my wife, and, and you guys probably know this, I would not have this beard if I didn't get paid to have it. But oh, I'm very real? blessed that I get paid to market these products. And when this company approached me, like you guys probably would too, like, well, how much money can I make with beard products or with men's grooming? Well, men's grooming is actually a very marketable and profitable industry. But beards during this whole, this whole pandemic have taken off. Yeah. Guys don't have to go to the office anymore. Mm-hmm. Guys are living out in the woods more. Guys are, I think it's a, maybe one of those things where like, hey, life is short. Yeah, you know, grow beard. Let's let's just let go a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, this beard company approached me, and and it's the beard struggle. You guys can find it on my social media. What is it? The beard struggle. The beard struggle. Okay, because it really is for a people who don't have a beard but they want to look like your beard. Dude, I, yeah, I'm I genuinely going to go check that out because like I. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. If I had beard beard supplements, I would definitely pay Jason to (laughs) reference. So would I. By the way, if you want to follow Jason, you can join his other 1.1 million followers at Jason Post and Pro on Instagram. He's a great follow. We follow a million. I I posted about Trump, so I lost. (laughs) Oh, did you? I lost like five thousand. I was barely over. I was like one point. I don't know one something, and then boom, I posted about Trump. Boom. That's crazy, man. The five thousand liberals that were mad at me, they they unfollowed and. 
Okay, so he's just had a cool million. You know, step, yeah. up, your, step up your game, It'll Jason. get back up there. You're really slacking, dude. So we could talk about beards for a long time because Jason has a sick beard. But I want to – and there were some questions I wanted to ask you. But before we get into any of the questions, just wanted to say most people have looked at your Instagram by now or your Wikipedia page and seen everything. Are there any? Is there anything that Nick didn't say that you would put on your highlight wall? You know what? I wasn't he, – he talks so fast – no, I'm kidding. No, that's, that's actually something like uh, busted. I, I, either that or my ADD. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I did multiple Arnold's, right? Okay. So I did a few Arnold's and I got second place twice, okay. which is, that's, man, that'll, that'll really tick you off if you're like that close to winning two times in a row. Nothing will get you fired up like uh, second place. Yeah. <laughs> and especially it was from an injury. My back cramped up. So I, I could have won, but I literally couldn't relax my back on stage because of the spasms and cramps. Oh, and man. it was it, it was unfortunate, but it was a learning lesson. Like everything, I I learned what I could have done, but after the fact that I lost that big trophy, um, and then I've done yeah. I don't know if you said I did four Olympias. Yeah. So yeah, finished twice. Finished third twice. Yeah, and then and then the whole reason I started this journey was is because it was type one. I had no interest in bodybuilding, but. The interest came from when uh, I had a sudden life change and I didn't know how to, you know, work or live my life every day. And I, I love fitness. So I was like, listen, I need a more basic form of working out, which is just like bodybuilding. Not that it's basic, but it, it doesn't necessarily burn as many calories in, in actual workouts as running and cross training. Right. Um, the, 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 the rate at which you burn you know, energy. I want to keep it kind of simple here for all the listeners, but the rate at which you burn glucose uh, for bodybuilding is pretty consistent. Yeah. You sit and you do an exercise and you rest and you do an exercise and you rest, you do an exercise and you rest, you do an exercise and you rest and you do that for about an hour, hour and a half. And then you rest and you go on and do the same thing again tomorrow. And then you eat the same thing pretty much every day, you know, six meals a day. That's, that's a summary. It was e- so you're saying it was a little bit easier to program and control your calorie consumption and manage your type one, you felt like? Yeah, for me, it was super simple doing the same thing every day. So everyone knows you as Mr. Olympia Jason and, and bodybuilder Jason and Instagram Jason, but let's talk about, um, let, let's do some prequel story here, the run-up yes. to how you became who you are today. So let, I want to dig into, I know Nick has some questions for you, but I want to dig into like some of your childhood, really some of your early ways of thinking. Uh, our listeners know that we like to talk about that because some of those early years are really what form and shape your way of thinking. Uh, so let's just start with like, you know, where did Jason grow up? What, um, yeah, tell, yeah, tell us your story. I grew up in Grapevine, Texas. Um, a grapevine's bigger now when I grew, you know, I'm 40 now. So when I grew up there, you know, all the way up till I was 18, it was a little bit more of a smaller town. I went to Colleyville Heritage High School, graduated in 2000. And just so I'm clear and, and the listeners are clear, type one means you, you had it from birth, right? So you were managing this all as a child. Well, no, that's the thing. This, I acquired or however you say, I was diagnosed at age 29. Oh, wow. So all the sports I played, every, the way I live life was normal. You know, and I never had any symptoms. I never had any warnings. It was just, boom, 29 years old, the year 2011, um, I, you know, started losing a ton of weight, and I had all these crazy side effects and, and or the things that were going on, symptoms, you call them, call them side effects, but symptoms, and all these things were 
were obvious that something was wrong with me. So, you know, I, I can get in that story later, but no, I wasn't diagnosed. I was 29. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, we'll come to that diagnosis. So give us every, give us some of just the story on you leading up to that diagnosis. What'd you do in high school? What sports did you play? High school for me was, was really a rebel phase. I was really, you know, I was a, I was a good kid. I was, you know, I was, I was in church, uh, in and out of church, but, um, I love, you know, I had a relationship with the Lord, uh, had best of friends, good relationship with my parents. Um, but when it came down to school, I really, I always had a hard time focusing. So, um, I did play sports, but to be honest, I was one of those kids. I would fail classes. I, I just didn't respect academics. I, I, I had what, a hard What were you interested in? What had all of your attention? Probably like being cool and girls. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was it. I just wanted, I was trying so hard to be cool and I, I liked girls. I had a girlfriend. I mean, it was just all about the social life. I didn't see the benefits of academics at all. I was, it was sad. So obviously there's a transition there from, from thinking that way to becoming someone who's so disciplined. So kind of walk us through that. What, what happens after high school for you? Well, hang on, hang on. Sorry. Oh, sorry next to interrupt questions. you with a question. Were you like, what, how big were you in high school? Cause you're, I mean, what do you, what, do you, was, what do you weigh right now? I, I'm 215. You're 215. How tall yeah. are you? 5'10". Okay, so he's 5'10", 215. He's jacked. You'll see the pictures in the video, which, by the way, we're on YouTube now, so you can actually watch this. I'm normally like 225. Okay, well. The diabetes kind of has – I lost some weight recently, but it's coming back. I mean, I'm not going to throw any stones at you, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 180. But, okay, so in high school, like, what's your physique like? You're 5'10 in high school, and what what do you look like physically? You know, I grew after high school. Okay. So I was probably like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, when I graduated. Oh, okay. And I grew. I, I, a lot of guys in my family are like that. My brother was like that. My dad was like this. and um, But I weighed about 155 pounds when I graduated. Dang, okay. And I also was old for my class. That's what's crazy. I mean, I, gradu- I was 18 my whole senior year. So I was older than most, most of the guys. I was just – people in my life are, are – People in my family are late bloomers. Right. But yeah, I was real I played basketball, wasn't the best at it. I played football, wasn't the best at it. Um, I wrestled and was good at that, but then I could never get my grades up. So like you know, I played hockey, but it yeah. wasn't in our school. It was a, a outside school, you know, sport. Um but that was it, man. It was you know, I wasn't I wasn't really um focused in yeah. high school. And when you when you look at the way high school um, functions or the curriculum, a lot of guys like me don't really have an opportunity. Mm. And, I mean, I, I blame myself, right? And I, brain, I blame my leadership. I mean, my parents, they didn't really push me to make good grades, right? Uh, I, my mom, bless her heart, really pushed me to just not get in trouble, right? right. Yeah. To stay out of trouble. So I, I feel bad for, you know, the – the stress she probably had, mm-hmm. but my, my dad just could care less if I made good grades or not. He, it wasn't too important. It's was basically don't embarrass him. Right. Like don't, don't get suspended. Don't, don't get in fights and give him a bad name and he's cool with it. But I don't, I don't like the way high school structured for people who simply don't have the attention span to, to fit, to pay attention. Mm. You know, I think there is core curriculum, like studies that everyone needs to go through, mm-hmm. but I just don't feel like there's enough options f- to keep, you know, all the kids interested, Yeah, you know, and uh, there's, there's a lot of talk about that, right? There, there's a big discussion. I like, that's why I like homeschool right now. I think it's such a parenting issue, right? Like school is like, Hey, send them off to a government sponsored 
institution and you educate my child. There's way I think there's way better ways to educate children than school. Like school would be so much more interesting to students if you could help them connect it to their life. What do you want to be? Why do you want to learn these things? Like I never went to college and I've learned some great things um, in, in this current season of life that college would have taught me. But I, I think about like learning some of the finance stuff that I do now trying to do that in college. I would have hated it because yeah. I'm learning from a guy who doesn't put this into practice trying to tell me how to do it. And I'd be like, why am I learning this right now? But now that I need to know these things, I was so hungry to go out and learn them. So I'm right there with you. Uh, parenting and, and the influence is on your life. Your leadership can definitely change the way that you think about learning. So, yeah, um, yeah that's I'm right there with you on that one. You guys are both driven by your passions heavily. So I, I think like when I'm and also, have you ever thought, do you think your type one diabetes that you didn't know you had might have played a part in you struggling to keep paying attention in school? Man, the, the it, it comes across my mind. Like, I think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, they, they put me on medication, right? Like Ritalin and stuff like that. Right. And I would get depressed. It wasn't, I don't think that really works for me. But, yeah. no, I really think it was just, it comes down to uh, the lack of leadership from my pops. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't, he didn't invest in in the kids, right? Um, he, he just didn't. And then also think that, you know, the things I was into were uh, things that I didn't feel like I had at home. Right. Like, you know, like, it, it's twisted. Like, it's really hard when you go and reflect back in your childhood. But we didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. Like, we, we there, the lights would turn off constantly. The mm-hmm. water would be turned off constantly. Um, I remember certain certain days, like, we I took showers outside mm-hmm. because we didn't have a shower. We The bath, we had one bath, right? And, I mean, these are first-world problems, I feel like. There's other yeah. countries that have it much worse. But, I mean, I went to Colleyville. This this was a wealthy oh, high yeah. school. Yeah. There was – my friends drove Mercedes and Hummers. Like, I didn't have a car. Yeah. So, you know, taking showers outside – in the morning to wake up my dad and which is cool now. Now I'm like, Oh yeah, man, take an ice bath. Yeah. First thing in the morning, that's how you get the blood flowing. And you're, you're at home on this podcast. We talk about that all the time. Yeah. Right? yeah. We love a good ice bath, but you know, I, um, I kind of forget where we're going, but you know, I was just, I, I, I really, I, I was good at a lot of things as a young man, yeah. like flipping things. I was really good. I sold a ton of stuff at school. Right. The problem was half of it was stolen. So, <laughs> right. You know, it was like I would steal from my job at work and turn around and flip it. And why did I do that? Because I didn't feel like that was the only way I could make money to get the cool stuff that the rich kids had. Right. Okay. And it wasn't right at all. We all know that. But that was a talent that I had that I had no fear right. in taking risks to make money hmm. to provide the things. And it all, I did not just provide for myself. I mean, a lot of that money, I went out and I would take care of friends. And it was that, that is, hmm. you know, something how I can relate to lower income communities is I don't, yes, we need to, you know, be careful of their behavior. We don't want them breaking laws, but also like, look at their talents. Look at some of these yeah. young kids that are drug dealers. Like they're literally, they're better with mathematics and flipping, oh, yeah. you know, a particular drug than they are with the academics. So mm-hmm. like, how can we help that kid with their strengths? Yeah. And that, that was my strength is, uh, you know, I think I definitely could have done better at school um, and grades, but I also look back and I'm like, well, no wonder why, you know, I love business so much now because yeah. I was a businessman in high school. It's just I was doing things a little bit more, yeah. you know, rogue. Unconventional, shall we say. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's let's fast forward yeah. past high school. What are you doing after that? High school, 
I attempted college. And, you know, I went out on my own immediately. I moved out of, moved out of my parents' house uh, that first summer after high school. And uh, I wanted to go to junior college. I wanted to try to be like the normal who put kid. That, who put that in your head to do that? Like, did, was that, you, you know, feel like that was you or were, did you have a teacher or people in your life that were saying you should go to college? The society norm. Yeah. Okay. The society, your friends. You felt like it's what you had to do to be successful. Your close friends doing the whole four year yeah. college staying with the parties and the girls and the playing the sports and going to football games and uh, parties. So I was like, all right, I got to do that so I can do this normal thing. And then, uh, you know, junior college, I tried it for, I think three years and you know, I finally, uh, stopped, you know, I, I was paying my own way through college. I finally stopped because, um, what, what I believe, you know, I really found my passion. I mean, I'm still doing that passion was fitness. Yeah. Mm. Like, you know, cause one thing that my dad did tell me, and then a lot of dads and a lot of people hear this is like, you know, if you find something, you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. And my dad would preach that to me because he hated his job. He didn't make a lot of money. And he had been working for Xerox forever and didn't have very much to show for it. And so he, he, it, it, he would take that on on the kids, but he would also, when he, when, when, you know, excuse my language, when shit hit the fan, he also would rant to me. Sure. And I would listen. Like, I don't want to be unhappy like my dad. Yeah. And so I, you know, I listened. And I was like, I don't want to be unhappy like my parents. So, mm. look, I love working out. How can I turn this into a career? Oh, boom, look at the salaries. Personal trainers are making like. So what, what year is that when you start to get into fitness and think I, that? I was, I was 21. I was 21. And uh, turning 22 soon, I was waiting tables. And I was working at Costco. I had two jobs. And I also worked at Abercrombie for the discount. Nice. I worked oh, at night. I worked at night, so I had three jobs. Wait, at night, like you were the eye candy at the door, right? No, man, I was what? not. I did model and stuff back then, but it was like I didn't want to be that guy standing at the door. Oh, so man. you're 21. It's uh, what year is it? 2000. Uh, let's see. This was this was uh, probably 2003. Yeah. So at that time, I mean, there w- fitness wasn't as enterprising as it is today. I mean, there was money to be made back then, but not like there is today. No, you didn't have the opportunity. But you found you found that you liked it, and you said, "This is what I know I want to do. If I can make any money at this, this is what I want to do." Absolutely. What was what's kind of that discovery? How did that happen for you? Because uh, I was good at it, and I w- it was something that grabbed well, my attention. Yeah. What, yeah. What were you doing that you discovered fitness? I got my first membership where I paid for it. My I, there was no there, there wasn't gym membership. Like when did the cl- like, when did it click for you? Like I like this, and I can make money doing it. When. I worked out consistently. You know, I was reading books. Uh, there wasn't a lot online, so it was all books back then. Well, well, Encyclopedia Bodybuilding. Yep, yep. Um, um, oh, man. Char- Charles Poliquin's strength training books. Yeah, yeah so, um, so some of the great classics of bodybuilding. Yeah, it was all just classics. And when you start something consistent, and like, like with fitness, and you see results... It, you immediately can get hooked. Yeah, and absolutely. so I was like, look at my body, and it was the first, the first time I knew this is what I want to do for a long time, is when all my my friends came home from college, and they looked at me, and for the first time they gave me some really positive feedback, huh. other than like cool shoes, cool yeah. hair posting, yeah. hey your girlfriend's hot posting. This was like, dude, your arms have gotten bigger. And mm-hmm. I remember my, my my biggest friend said that he's six nine. Oh, he's still my best friend. He's six yeah. nine. He had a double. 
he played two sports at Texas Tech. Dang. And so he 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 was the genetic god, right? And I was the shorter, smaller guy. That and he and he gave me that compliment. And then some other friends said something about me adding size too. And I was like, Yeah, I just been consistent with my workouts. And it gives you that sense of control. Like I can do things and I can receive these benefits from it. I can make changes. I can make myself look different. People see that. They see me differently. I, I felt this. I mean, some I had similar story for myself where in high school, people said, you know, you're skinny, you're this, you're that. And some of Garrett's like inception is like, you know what? I, I that's not what I see. And I'm going to change that. And it changed people's level of respect for me. And then it changes your level of respect for yourself. I think a lot of people uh, in their fitness journey have some of that experience where it's just like, I can, I can change things. I can change the world. I can change myself. And that's where people go from that and start to change other things. Yeah. If I can change my body, I can change my family. If I can change my body, I can change my bank account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have an aha moment when you realize the stuff you do on your own when no one's looking suddenly reaps a result that everybody sees. And you're like, oh, like actually what I'm doing, like my, my routines, it, it just gives you like, like rocket fuel in your, in your engine to keep going. Right. So you've had this moment. You, you're, you're a fitness trainer now. Is that what your job is? You're yeah. training other people. Yeah. I just, I, I told my parents like, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to drop out of college. Just look at how many years I've wasted. I went down to Austin, um, you know, partied my, my, all my college away and I was down there I was still working hard, you know, right. two jobs, but I came back home, left Austin, uh, cause it was way too, it was well, not a healthy lifestyle for me down there. And, um, came back home and said, I want to get these certifications. So still worked, you know, two and three jobs, um, studied the, the first certification, got my NASM CPT. And then that got me in to a job at, at 24 hour fitness. Yes. That was 24 hour fitness was the, was a gold standard back then. Yeah, that was I the number those. one gym in the area. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think gold was up there, but 24 hour was new. And I actually had a job at the front desk before that. And I remember seeing the personal trainers, and thinking like, man, I can be just like these guys. I think I can even do a better job because I just love working out so much. It doesn't even seem like they're into their clients. And um, I'm going to come in here and do this. And so, but 24 hour, uh, it didn't work out real quick. It, it was, it was uh, too tough for me, really. Like they just threw you out there. There mm-hmm. wasn't any training, and I had never been a personal trainer. So I quickly just went over to apartment complex. I was like, let me just throw flyers around. And I, I kind of did my own thing, but I had no experience. Mm. Whole, you know, structuring business and keeping records of, you know, all my money and my clients. And, but, and I did well, like, for- so just to catch that really quick, yeah, he's working at 24 hour fitness and they put okay, I want to be a trainer. 24 hour fitness puts him out there and it's not going well. And you don't say, Oh, I guess this isn't for me. You say, I guess this isn't the place for me. Exactly. I'm going to go do it somewhere else. You yeah. didn't let that discourage you at all. Well, your environment, just because one environment doesn't work doesn't mean there's not other environments that you need to That's right. surround yourself in. And so my environment was being having the freedom um, to kind of learn from my errors and not the pressure about sales and money. Yeah. Like I got in this to help people and to help them get the feeling that I had when I worked out. Mm. And remember, back then, not very many people were working out. It, everyone works out now. Back then, nobody was working out. And so I felt more comfortable just on my own. And mm. so that's why... You know, and I felt more comfortable uh, not being pushed to hit a number. Yeah, right. Like 24 hours, like, oh, you need to talk to this many people today. Yeah. You need to approach. You need to help this many people with their form. And that system does work, but for, for me, it just didn't fit. It, it works for 24-hour fitness. It may not necessarily work for the clients. Well, 24 hours not doing too well as we speak, right? Yeah. Like, whatever their model, not they, they did well It was for working while. at the time. 
It the, will. The amazing thing is, though, is you look at like patterns in your life. You know, you didn't like school, and because that didn't really fit you. And you're clearly like an independent thinker, and you like to do things and find your own way. So, I mean, I, I look at that, and I look at the way you said you made money. Once you had a desire to do something, you know, you you you've got a pattern and a, and a repeated habit of finding your own way of doing it. Like you said, I mean, you, you were doing it illegally flipping things in high school, but you found ways to do it. You get to, you find something you love, you get the certifications to go down like quote unquote, the paved road. And then you realize actually the paved road is not for me. I'm gonna go make my own. So like this entrepreneurial spirit is clearly in you from a, a young age and you see that pattern starting to develop. Okay. So take us from, I never thought about it that much, but you're right. Like you're right. Because it, also it continues. Like, I'm well, only 22 stuff, at this point. It continues. Yeah. For, for, for most of us, whatever our uh, unique gift is, whatever that thing that's in us, you've had it since you were young. Yes. And that's why on this podcast, we'd like to go back and talk to, to people about where they were at when they were young, why they thought the way that they did. Cause there's those threads in our life that have been there since the very yeah. beginning. Who else flipped like bicycles? Anyone else? I didn't know. Or rollerblades? I used to, I used oh, to dude, fix the, people's yes, rollerblades. Yes, rollerblades, man. Those are the gems. Bearings. No one could clean bearings. No. I could clean bearings, so I did it for all my friends and made them faster. Yeah. And I would trade them for like, okay, you, you know, you've got you to give me your new wheels off your, your rollerblades or something. And I did it with bicycles, too. So you're always trying to find stuff to flip. Take us from, take us from uh, the apartment, gym. Let's pick up back there. So you're, pay, you're handing it, out flyers. I wanted health insurance because oh, it, was, yeah. it was important to me. It was something, you know, and it turns out I probably, it's a good idea, but I, I, I don't even think I ever got sick till I was 29, but like I wanted health insurance and I wanted the stability. So I went lifetime started in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Lifetime fitness is huge here now, but this was their second location. They opened Colleyville. Texas, and then they opened Flower Mound, Texas. And when Flower Mound opened up, it was right when I um, made the decision that, you know, I need to get more stability and structure, and I need to learn about business again. You know, even though I didn't agree with 24 hours way, uh, Lifetime, when it came to Texas, was the biggest thing. It was a resort-style gym. Right. It was very expensive. People that went there had money, and I knew that I needed to get in and get, uh, get you know, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, experience working with higher end clientele. Right, right. You know, I was working for yeah, a it's a lot more expensive people, to right? get into lifetime than it is to. Oh yeah, it was crazy. No one ever heard membership prices like that. So I got in and and I went there and uh, I worked there for almost four years. Opened up this new club, and I was either number one or number two at the gym um, in sales every single month, year after year. I started. A, so what what changed? How did you go from struggling selling at twenty four hour to being number one in sales at Lifetime? They they didn't just throw you out on the floor. We had I give a lot of credit to my my managers back then. Um, this guy uh, uh, there's Ray Figueroa, Michael Taylor, and Matthew Heinrich. These guys they brought in and they promoted sales books in the sales meetings. In the personal trading meetings. So they invested in you guys. They, they invested in us. And they, they made it so interesting. At least it was interesting for me. So you also thrived in that environment because you'd never had that before. You'd been waiting to have someone in your life that cared about your success and poured into you. Mm. So that, yeah. would, you, would you agree with that? That, this that place- was the first time in my life a male figure had invested time in me being better and making more money um, ever. 
So yeah. I, I, I loved it. I appreciate it. And I soaked it all in. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That is awesome. And plus you had, have you thought about, I mean, you put that combined with all the repetitions that you had of training people from the apartment complex while not ideal. I think a lot of times people are, are like, I want to do this. And you know, I want to play in the NBA. Well, you don't just show up to an NBA team and, and start playing. You go down to the crappy basketball court by your house and you start shooting hoops and working like working on your game. Right. And People understand that in sports, but not necessarily in life. Whenever they're looking for something else that they want to do, it's like, hey, go out, find a place you can practice and start getting reps and get excellent at it, right? Whether that's public speaking or whatever it is, like just don't say no to a gig. Go take it because you may not get the result you want, but you're getting repetitions and you're growing even when you're unaware of it. So you've now had all these repetitions training these people. You have a man that's going to invest in you that's already doing something that you're passionate about. And this is like the concoction that gets you fired up and ready to go. Now you're in your late twenties, you know, you then find out you have type one diabetes, right? And for for those that are unaware, what is type one diabetes? And can you let kind of walk us through the story of how you discovered you had that? Cause you had it the whole time and just didn't know, which is amazing. Yeah. So after, you know, going through all my twenties with, with normal health, I, I literally can't remember when I would get sick. If I got sick, it was for a day. I had amazing immune system and, um, when I was 29, it was when the Cowboys hosted the Super Bowl. I don't know if, if, if anyone in Dallas remembers that. But no no was, one in Dallas remembers when the Cowboys were in anywhere near Super Bowl. They weren't in the Super Bowl, but they hosted <laughs> it at the new stadium. Oh, right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and it was a, there was a, another Arctic storm, man. Was, I swear, we get them like twice a year, and it's always at big, big events. But, yeah, the Cowboys, there was a big ice storm, and I actually was working a bouncer gig at a club um, – yeah, as a second job, just okay. just like, hey, listen, I don't want to be in the club scene anymore, but I'll I'll work the front door. And yeah. This is a way to get make extra money. So I'm assuming you had size at that point. I was like, no, but I was tough. Okay, like, you know, like I wasn't afraid to confront yeah. people, and I think most of the people in the nightlife knew that. So they and plus there were so many parties that weekend that they would hire anyone as a bouncer for sure. For because sure. I mean, you got paid fat. Yeah, like I remember seeing every celebrity that everyone thought was cool walk in Floyd Mayweather. Um, Did you ever have to scrap as a bouncer? You know what? No, <laughs> I didn't. I never, I never had to because I knew everybody. Yeah. So like, if I told you to, to chill out, it was probably a dude I drank with so many times. Like he knows like, Hey, we're, we're friends yeah. and we're cool. Or he knows all my homies inside. And so it wasn't going to be just me a bouncer. That's the thing with bouncers. Like they're unsuccessful when they're just, jerks and they're pushy for sure but if you're a cool bouncer you can talk people out of oh yeah absolutely well they put they they're assuming that you're going to be rude and aggressive so when you're not most of the time you can get their attention yeah i knew everyone so i was like the perfect bouncer i feel like garrett wants a future career going to like the worst cities in america as a bouncer not to be the kind one of my favorite movies is roadhouse so (laughs) if anyone ever wants to pay me to make that happen we can I could yeah. live that life for a short season. Jason gets paid to grow beards. You know, Garrett will happily get paid to go bounce at your your gathering. You know, that's, that's it. We'll just put it out there in the airwaves. I'll train. I'll train the team of bouncers. Oh, it's a little man. bit different. So, you will need medical insurance for that bouncing team. I'm just saying. Anyways, carry on. So, how long were you at Lifetime? Four years. Four years, and yeah. then what's what's after that? Well, here's what's funny. So we we have a new Lifetime here in town. That yeah. I think we're all members at. Um, I don't, or Nick, Nick, no, I'm just going. I'm talking him into yeah. it. Okay. Well, we, I was just telling the GM the other day um, that about my story at Lifetime. Why I left because um, then this is another entrepreneurial thing. 
there was no boot camps back then. Yeah. There's boot camps all over the world right now. People yeah. go work out in fields or work environments or just a patch of concrete. Yeah, and they bring little dumbbells or no dumbbells at all, whatever. There's boot camps. Back then, if you said the word boot camp, people got scared because they associated with the military. Yeah. And so I didn't call mine boot camp, but I created a group program called Power Groups. I remember flyers of people doing boot camps, and it was like Army Sergeant Guy doing a boot camp. That was yeah, that was the it impression. Was terrible, yeah, because yeah. like there was no form. I think they're just going to get yelled at and beat down. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. So I, with, with my functional training i wanted to create like actual really you know technical group workouts for a discounted rate that made me more money so my my clients saved money and then i made more money and this was my goal that all my goals were so meticulous back then and written down about how How, to make over a hundred thousand dollars a year that's all i wanted to do so i'm assuming that your way of thinking changed a lot at lifetime because of that, what was getting poured into you, learning about sales, to hear you say now, you know, I leave, I'm doing my own thing, and I'm thinking about, okay, this is what I got to do to make this amount of money, this is what it takes to sell, this is what the market looks like, and why it's not working well, and what I can do differently, so you learned a lot in that amount of time at Lifetime. A lot in structuring my business, and and providing, yeah, and providing for the customers, and and there was also, apart from my management, there was a a book I read that everyone should read. I don't care where they're at in life because it'll either remind you about mm-hmm. the foundation or this will teach you the foundation. It's uh, Jeffrey Gittimer's little red book of sales. Yeah. It's so yeah. good. We'll link to that in the show it's notes. So it's such a, it's like a cartoon. It's super simple book that like, I feel like everyone should read. And then also Zig Ziglar. Yep. Yes. Like of course. the smiling compliment club here. We all know this. And this is what I learned a lifetime about. And, and it carries on with every career. If you're not in the smiling compliment club, you're not as good of a salesperson or a business person. The smiling compliment. Yes. I think both of you guys did that when I walked in the door. Like hey, you complimented on the beard and compliment, you know, it's just a way. Nick, of, Nick's way better at it than me. Yeah. yeah. Garrett never tells his face. He's happy. I just want to, I just want to pause for a second for any listener that's hearing this story. At this point, you've looked at who Jason is on Instagram. He's wildly successful. He's very known. He's accomplished a lot of the things that he said he wanted to accomplish. And just listen to his story was, you know, not focused on the right things in high school. And then after that is working at 24 hour fitness. And I don't know if you, you left or got fired, but it wasn't going well. And that's a lot of people's story. Oh, like, Jared, I forgot can't get, to say this too. Cause we, we, I'm so, you know, I'm ADD. I told you that before. I forgot to tell the part about how, I mean, I went to jail 30 times before I was 21. 30 oh, times. We'll yeah, we, we so skipped we'll that ma- part. Well, Matt, we skipped Good that. But so we just, we just added a whole nother group of people to who can connect to Jason's story of for the first 20 something years of his life, didn't look like he was going anywhere or accomplishing anything until you figured out what you wanted to do. And you did a little bit of personal growth and development. You picked a direction and you started learning and improving yourself. And I don't, we didn't get into this part on, you know, how much inner belief you had as a young person, but I know having a father who doesn't encourage you, it can be hard to have a lot of belief. Yeah. Did you, how much did you believe in yourself when, you know, in those years of high school, going to jail, early years at 24 hour fitness, how much did you really believe in yourself that like, I'm going to be successful one day? Oh, no, that's, I, my belief didn't start. And it's such a meathead thing to say, but it is. My belief didn't start till I started lifting weights. Totally, it was the first thing that I was getting elite at. That you can look at yourself and say, uh-huh. "I did that." Yeah. So let's get into that. Yeah. So we're past lifetime now. We're you know you're training clients on your own. You're starting yeah, your own lifetime, programs. Lifetime. And where they, are you at in your bodybuilding career at that point? 
I did I did modeling shows. Yeah. And I didn't like it. I did I did it for the marketing. Hmm. I wanted to boost my clientele. I want to make it easier to book myself sure. up. Sure. I had booked myself up at Lifetime, but it was really hard. And I had to create these group programs and, you know, I had to sell and bring in new business all the time. But what if people came to me and I didn't even have to recruit them? So you maxed, basically maxed out what you thought you could do at Lifetime and you're trying to say, how do I do more? Yeah, I, I left Lifetime because I created that group program uh-huh. and they came in and they stopped it. They said they, they, they started their own boot camp and they wanted me to run this whole boot camp program. For twenty five bucks an hour, but I was making like three hundred bucks an hour with my group program. Right, right. So I at the I didn't see, and they they would promise me that there would be some type of incentive, but I didn't believe them. So me and a group of trainers all we didn't because they started group programs like I did after. Right. I, and so we all had group programs like we were training multiple people at a time, and because they outlawed that, or because they, they made a rule you can't train more than three people at a time, we said peace. We're leaving. We're going to a studio down the street. And so I, I, that was when I went back into more, I guess you say, an entrepreneurial role. Yeah. Um, a little bit more structured this time, a little bit more uh, driven as far as hitting numbers and hitting quota and how to structure and, and how to talk to my clients. So I, I, I left Lifetime with a lot of experience, and I'll forever be grateful. Um, and even though they, they, they ended my, my power groups, right, um, it was still absolutely worth it to get my start there. Now, when we, when we, you, you spoke of ADD and I think we all collectively have it as well. Cause we were actually at the point where you were a bouncer and I got sidetracked by thinking how funny it would be <laughs> to have Garrett be a bouncer. But that's when you were saying you discovered that you had type one diabetes. Cause right. You were leading up to Yeah. It. This yeah. is right after that. So after I, I was working on my own now. Yeah. And, um, I had some really cool different business things going. Um, I think it was the first time in my life that I made over a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, when you take away. 50% of what lifetime was taken from me. Oh yeah. And then, but it was still much harder to get new business. Now, uh, social media hadn't taken off yet. There was Facebook, but it was not what it is now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I was, I was bouncing and I remember that particular night, you know, the Cowboys are, were hosting the Super Bowl next year. I forget who's in the Super Bowl, but I had to go pee every 10 minutes every 15 minutes from my post i'm standing at this party right yeah these massive celebrities are all walking in i'm like not checking ids theirs but i'm i'm there checking people i don't know's ids and i kept having to leave to go pee right and then the the guy who hired me start and came up and got upset he's like man are you gonna i kept having to get cocktails and girls and people i don't that don't even aren't bouncers to watch the door for me. Right. Cause I could not control my urination. I right. had to kept freaking peeing. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, what's going on? So I had, I guess I had peed out all the water I could possibly pee. And I was dehydrated and that went on the whole weekend. Hmm. And when I went up, when I went to look at myself in the mirror on Monday, cause I don't even think I looked at myself the whole weekend. I looked so sunken in and sick and uh, I weighed myself, and I had lost 15 pounds. Oh, my wow. God. So I remember, and that was probably like 175, so I was like, boom, down to 160. And that Jeez. was depressing for me because I'm working out. I'm a trainer. I'm actually a nutritionist at a point, too. I had gotten a little nutrition certification. And so I was like, here we go. Like, I literally have worked my butt off to get up yeah. to 175, and now I'm back down to 160 like that. Like, all right, back on the weight gainer, back on eating more foods. Like, this is ridiculous. And it didn't. I, it kept, I kept losing weight. 
So months and months went by. In fact, nine months went by from February all the way to September. And I had lost about 50 pounds. So um, I was down in like the 140s. I think down to 140. Uh, oh at that gosh. point, I wasn't even weighing myself because it was depressing to see that. And so I had lost so much weight, and uh, I knew something was wrong, but I kept ignoring it and kept uh, procrastinating, didn't have health insurance. Uh, I went to a clinic. I, 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 at the clinic, you know, I, I, the first thought was that I had an STD. Right. Or that I thought, I was like, do I have AIDS? Do I have a tapeworm? Yeah. I wasn't knowledgeable about diabetes, but um, – the clinic sent me home, said, no, you don't have any STDs. You're good. And I was actually pissed that I didn't have any STDs. You know, like, yeah. well, what is wrong well, with Yeah, me? then what is the I problem? I would rather have something and you tell me so I can, you know, stop this. So during this whole point, during this whole time, was also probably the closest that I've become with my relationship with God. Hmm. Because um, the insecurities and the uh, depression that yeah. kicks in from health problems where you don't know what's going on. Right. It messes with your mind a lot. And my foundation that my mom had and, and grandmother had instilled in me about a relationship with God and, you know, and being a, you know, a, a Christian, I relied on that. So my devotional, my Bible, uh, my prayers were probably the most consistent and I want to say strongest, but I mean, it was my biggest cry out to God in my entire life because mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep. Um, I would have to pee all night. So yeah. if you go, if you try to go to sleep, you lay down like, oh, I'm tired. It's time to go to bed, but I've got to get up and pee. And you get up and you lay back down. 30 minutes later, you got to go pee again. Jeez. Same thing all night until you've peed out and you're completely dehydrated. So uh, then, the, then the dehydration symptoms kick in. My lips looked absolutely awful. They were completely cracked like you had been out in the sun or the snow forever. The sides of my mouth were cracked uh, open like the Joker. Yeah. You know, and so that's when I started hiding. I didn't want to go out in public. There was no social life. And this is just the antithesis of your strength, right? Because you started to feel some confidence from, I can go to the gym, I can put in hard work, and I get results, right? And I can control the change in myself. And now along comes diabetes, and it takes away what you thought is control. Like, I can, I can make myself different. And now you've got these things happening to you that you can't control. So exactly. this brings you closer to God. Then what happens after that? How do, you get a, how do you take the reins back and start to control well, your diabetes? This is important. What happens after that, I'll absolutely tell you. But I have to, I have to say this because, you know, people who don't believe in God and, and atheists will say, well, what is your proof? You know, and th this was, I, I already had my faith and I was a believer, but my prayers, I would hear the same thing. Um, and I would actually, I would, I would, it, it would be when I was halfway, what we call it hallucinating from, um, what's it called? What do you get? Sleep deprivation. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I, w I felt sleep deprivation for the first time. I'm sure they took you through that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've done a little bit of that. Yeah. You're crazy. You're, uh, but I've heard that before. Sleep deprivation, it it's different in different people. Yeah, that's Some true. Some people that's handle it true. amazing, and then I mean, for me, I felt like I handled it pretty well. But um, not that whether it was from sleep deprivation or or call it literally God answering my prayers, He would tell me the same thing every single night in my halfway sleep that Jason, you have strength. 
you know, just continue to have faith in me and you will be stronger than ever. Mm. I get goosebumps. Just think, I think I got goosebumps right now. Like, cause it was the same thing. And of course, while you're in it, you don't know what to believe. Mm. Like, dude, but I, I did start to believe it. Like you have strength. You're not strong right now, but just be patient and I will make you stronger than ever. So where did, where did that come from? I mean, you're hearing that from the Lord, but if let's just dig into that for a second. Yeah. For you to hear that from the Lord, you've got to be in a place where, where you can hear. So you talked about your, your, you said your mom, right? Your mom and your grandma put that belief in you at a young age. Are you reading the word of God in that season of your life or no? Absolutely. You were? Yes, yes. And it was a men's devotional. Okay. So I would quickly turn to things like strength or like depression, yeah, insecurity. So I had key words. Yeah. I wasn't able to navigate through the Bible, but my men's devotional helped me navigate through the Bible during that time. You know, and, and also, you know, I, was, I started to go to church too. I started to get where I was in the club all the time and where I was a, a social life guy, I started to get more into, you know, the church scene. And w- would you say that was directly triggered by this struggle of diabetes? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when uh, mm. this is the common thing that people do, um, you know, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, but like it, and and I did. I definitely gave all glory to God in the good things that happened in my twenties, but not not the way that I should. Sure. And so I had tangled with too much of the party scene and the nightlife, and I, um, in a way, I felt like this. The whole time I'm sick, even though I'm depressed, even though I don't have any confidence, even though I had no money, I lost all my money because I lost all my clients. I couldn't, I couldn't get up to train people anymore. Yeah. I mean, I was, I wouldn't sleep all night, and I would just train a few clients a day. That was all the energy I had. And I'd go home and go back to sleep, man. But th- through that whole process, I, something was telling me, you know, and then those prayers, like something big is going to happen. Just keep your faith. You are strong. Remember that you're not strong right now. You're weak. You're physically weak, but you are strong. And I love that. And then, and then boom, September 1st, 2011, nine, one, 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 I was diagnosed. I went to the hospital. They pricked my finger finally, uh, said, oh, you're, you're diabetic. And, like, you're going to have a hard life. You know, they gave, they gave me all the scary stuff, sent me home, um, and then I actually got into a and research. And you're thinking probably what? I'm not fat. Like, what do you mean I have diabetes? Well, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I believed them. They, when they said that, I the, well, I had denied diabetes for about the last month because a couple people told me that, and I okay. said whatever. Okay, I said right. I'm not fat, like you said. Did, okay, did you have the the level of education on diabetes? Because it wasn't as talked about, you know, it wasn't as common knowledge as it can be now. You're right. No, ten, uh, 2011, just and that's just it seems like it was just yesterday, I know. right? 2011, people were not aware no. of diabetes, and now we're at over 400 million worldwide. Oh wow. my gosh. Okay, so you get diagnosed with diabetes. Take us from there. I get diagnosed from diabetes. I, my, one of my grandmothers, the same grandmother that used to you know, testify and, and just put the word into me, said, hey, Jason, also I got you um, a free research study. Because remember, I didn't have insurance. Yeah. So I didn't have money or insurance. I said, you got a free research study, and they're going to give you insulin as long as you just do these. And they're also going to pay you. Wow. I said, wow, Okay. I'm there tomorrow. Yeah. Call the doctor. Go in there. They give me insulin. Uh, he gives me a shot. Tells me what I need to do. He's like, now you need to go down to the cafe. You need to go eat because we just gave you a shot. And 
um, come back up after you eat. So the, were they feeding you too? They gave me coupons to get free food down the cafe. Oh my gosh! Wow. This you hit this, the lottery. Yeah, this is like yeah. a big win. Yeah. And oh, I, I this I, is your so this is the opportunity. Yeah, and I, after he gave me my shot, I'm walking down the cafe, and I feel like. I just absorbed every nutrient from the last nine months that I hadn't absorbed. Yeah. I felt like I went from slouching with, you know, some type of back, you know, issue, like, you know, some type of it to standing up straight, just coming alive. Like what? I just got my energy back that I haven't had all year. And I said, and it was immediate, like this rush of excitement. Like I'm going to crush the world. Yeah. Right. In a matter of just one, it really woke me up right there. Oh man. That's I can I can only imagine, but I, I can't imagine yes. what that's like to live for so long without that energy. I mean, this is people have this experience of living without God. People have this experience. So many perspectives create this where they've lived with so little for so long. And what it gives them is gratitude for what they do have. Yes. So essentially you breathe again Amen. for the first time and you say, I'm not going to waste my breath anymore. It's like a lot of people listening can probably understand when you for some reason, maybe you haven't eaten in a while, yeah. and then you go and get a Snickers <laughs> or whatever, or you go and get a hamburger. Yeah. Like maybe if you got, and for maybe some people haven't eaten, like you worked out really hard, you did a hike, and you went on a long ruck walk, and then somebody's got some like awesome hot dogs or something yeah. awesome back at the camp, and you're like, this tastes so good. Yes. That times 100. And that's how you felt about life. Yeah, because it wasn't just the food. It was on all cylinders. I'm getting my money back. I'm getting my health back. Uh, I had lost a girlfriend at that time. I was like, I'm going to get a girlfriend again. Uh, I'm going to get my finance. You, know, you felt like you could do anything. I felt like I could do anything. So take us from there. So you, the research study puts life back into you, and then, and then what? How quickly do you get to where you are? Where, or where really where? Yeah, take us from there to, you know, like you were actually one of the first, I'd say you're like one of the first 30 people I followed on Instagram in like 2013 or 2014. So, and you were, I mean, at that time you were one of the top uh, fitness influence people, influencers on Instagram. So that's a short time to the 2011. You're in that research study. You're feeling like death. You get this uh, injection of life it into you. It was a sprint. It was and a, then, it was and a then in a few, so that that's crazy to me just to think about that, to go from there to who I first saw when you were on Instagram at the time. So Yeah, you're like 140, you said, right? This, this is the most on fire I've been in on in my entire life. I hope and I pray to ever catch fire like this again. Yeah. Because it was, it was absolutely no distractions. Um. <laughs> from women too i remember i i stay i i went abstinent for the first time since yeah well hopefully not that, that closeness for over a year that closeness with god i'm sure stayed with you as well yeah it did it just it, i had confidence that every move i was making was strategic to build my life for the better and you know it started with a, a foundation for the first time i was consistent with my faith um i was consistent with um the people around me that there was nobody distracting me Absolutely nobody. If you weren't building me up better, then you weren't in my life. Yeah. You know, and if I, and, and I, I mean, the reason why is because I wanted to build up other people better. All the, all the clients in my twenties that I took their money and I trained them and I increased the performance. Um, now I was doing the exact same thing, but I was also changing their life. Mm. It was a whole different type of client that I was training. I was, God was giving me people that um, were looking to do what I did completely flip their life around and do it 
through fitness. One of the other one of the other important things I want to note here is that during that low season of your life where you were hearing from God, you be, you believed it. Because people can hear those things and they can say, you know, like, I just don't see it. Like, God, how could you do that? Like, doubt is definitely in everyone's equation, but you didn't let it into your equation. So having having had that where you're, you're hearing from God, like, hey, you're strong, Jason. I know this isn't what this, your life isn't what you think it's supposed to be right now, but just wait, but just hang on. And you believed it. And then this happens to you. And that that's a big part of your fire in this season. Yeah, I, I want to before you carry on, I, I want to take a summary of, of events as well. Cause I think this is, I didn't know this. Like we've, we've talked before this. Um, I had no idea, man. Like I love the storyline or plot. If, if this was a movie of a guy who's just sort of going along, he's had some tough times. He's had some good times. He's kind of getting to a point where he thought was good enough and gets stripped back to literally where you have nothing. Literally, you know, you, you said you lost all your money, all your income Anybody that was around you, you lost were, all his size. Yeah, lost all your size, which is the one thing you have confidence in. The only thing that got stronger when you're laying in there was your spirit. And oh my gosh, do I love that? Because man, I, we say this all the time: the strongest part we are a spirit that has a soul and lives in a body. And the strongest part of us is the spirit, because that's the part that can communicate with God. And I love that you were sitting there. And what did you do? You 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 applied the disciplines of working out in the spiritual sense, and and I just find that so amazing that you heard the same thing over and over again. And you said you had no belief. You said to us, you were like, I was one forty. I still didn't have belief. And then suddenly, when you're at your weakest point, what does what does God do? He comes in and starts instilling belief in you, dude. That gets me pumped up. I like so pumped up. And it was so obvious. Yes. I hope. I I hope. I pray that every person gets to feel what I felt at that point in their life. And I, I truly believe you don't need to get sick like I did to feel it. Yeah. But we all, we do have situations where we just hit rock bottom in life yeah. at something. And if you can completely give it to God and humble yourself um, to, to go down the path he wants you to like some of the stuff he was telling me to do, I didn't want to do like get rid of my best friends. Yeah. Like, and I know I wasn't getting rid of them. Like, I I mean, Distance myself from my best friends. These are my roommates. Yeah. The guys I've known since middle school and, and high school. Like, you know, these are some, of, but they were distractions to where I needed to go. We were living life different. Mm. And where he wanted me to go, he needed me to, to, to you know, live in solitude for a little bit. Mm. And to just focus on um, being, on me, being, being a better person and, and you know, educating myself in, in how to live with this new disease, right? And yeah. I couldn't do it with all these distractions from from people who are still doing what I previously did, you know, mm. which is just living a crazy life full yeah. of distractions that you allow yourself um, to become um, desensitized to. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? People yeah. have these, like they'll have a certain friend that's a distraction. Oh, for sure. Well, then they become, they start hanging out with that friend and then they have another friend who, who becomes that friend. And then yep. all of a sudden they've got a group of friends that are all just like doing fair weather crap, yep. you know, where, so what was so essential to you in that season was focus. You learned how to focus. Yeah. And, it, 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 and to call myself out it's because I had a problem with focus my whole life. Yeah. Because I was always, it, my focus was I was easily distracted with social life. So if, if for the first time I needed to be lonely for a little bit from people. And you f- do you feel like you still are in that fight today where you're having to constantly work against being distracted and I need to get focused on, on what I'm doing? Yeah, absolutely. It, it'll always be a distraction for me. I think 
I think Satan knows our weaknesses. Absolutely. And he knows how to get under our skin and to distract us or to whatever, whatever your, um, you know, fake curse, curse may be, the devil knows that. And he's going to always remind you of that. And so I'm, I'm constantly battling with uh, staying focused on the most important things in my life. Um, and now the distractions, distractions are all different. Yep. But, they change. Yeah. But you still get distracted. All right. So, so let's pick back up in the story. So you've gotten to this point where you, you got weak. I feel like this is like the Captain America story, you know, <laughs> like where you're like this skinny little scrawny guy and suddenly they give you this injection and you're like, you know, I know it wasn't overnight, but so take me from this. So you've got, you've gone through these trials. Suddenly you're able to gain weight again. You have energy. You feel like you can take on the world. I gained 30 pounds in 30 days. Nice. I'm pretty sure you could sell that. You could sell that program. Online. <laughs> I went back up. Yeah. I looked better than ever because my skin was so tight. Yeah. And, and the whole time I was sick, I was lifting. Oh, it wow. wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the same. I would, I would, I'd literally slap. You myself. probably felt like your strength doubled in that time too. Um, in the time. Yeah. The, the, the strength didn't double, but the strength came back in a little bit stronger than I ever was, you know, it was, but yeah. So I, I lifted all the time I was sick. Oh, okay. I would, I would slap myself in the face. I would pound as many energy drinks as possible, like wow. way too many. And that yeah. wasn't helping you. Yeah. No. But then I became, a, yeah, adrenal fatigue and the yeah, energy drinks didn't sure. work. Plus, the energy drinks do not work, period, with high blood sugar. Yeah. It doesn't okay. work. doesn't work. So, okay. So, you're like, hey, I've just realized I have type 1 diabetes. I know now what the solve is. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm just going to go become a professional bodybuilder. I'm pretty sure that's how the conversation with yourself went, right? <laughs> that You know what? It was my choice, but who do you think guided that choice? Well, of course. I mean, if God's telling you you're going to be stronger than ever, just keep believing. Like, what Here, a message. Here's a weird thing that people – so this is why I can't judge guys that take their look serious because there's some guys, a few of them. There's not a lot. And this is, it was really hard for me because I, I got so tired when people would judge me based on the fact that I wanted to have a good appearance, yeah. that I cared about clothes, that I did modeling and stuff. I didn't like it. Right. I never liked it. I loathed it. I didn't like the people I worked with, but I did it because throughout all my career, it's helped advance my career. It's right? excellence. It's helped. Yeah, it's, it is excellence. It's helped me uh, gain following. You know, it's helped yeah. me have a more positive influence on people. So that's why I always say it's not, it's not whether you, you, you do don't, something, it's why you do it. You don't gain a lot of followers by being repulsive and disgusting. Yeah, so. or like hiding away. Shoot, I don't know, man. Nowadays, like... <laughs> it's true. We live in a different world. I know. But, but people admired your excellence. I remember, it, I remember yeah. again, I remember back 2013, 2014, like you were very excellent and you were known for being different. I remember following you back then like, yeah, this guy's legit. He works hard. Like you can tell that he's different than some of the other guys. Yeah. So 2014 is whenever I first saw your career on the professional bodybuilding scene. And to Garrett's point, at 2011, you've entered this, you know, you've entered this program where you get insulin, you're getting paid. So where did the, where, how did you get to be a bodybuilder? Like, because you were always into fitness, but it's a whole other world going to bodybuilding. Yeah, that's what I was saying was that I knew God was pointing me in the direction that I didn't feel comfortable. Right. And that was marketing my look. Right. Okay. okay it's so really going. off pattern. Yeah. Like it's like, and my sons come to me in this, like, Dad, I want to be a model. I'm like, well, why? Yeah. Well, you want to be a bodybuilder? Why? Tube sock modeling me, pays well. I, yeah. <laughs> you want to be a tube experience. sock? <laughs> you want you want to be a hand model or like what? Why? That's what I'm saying. Like, there's all these weird things in life. 
Yeah. And we kind of need to ask these people. Show me my calves. If you can see this on the video. I don't want you guys. Oh, look. This, They're looking good in those the jeans. Won't jeans. Even go up. The jeans won't even go up over them. <laughs> it's 10 calf raises a day, 12 years. Anyways, carry on. But, yeah, so it, it was for the first time I embraced it. Um, but I also, I honestly didn't have a lot of options, right? It's like I was a personal trainer, and there's this new division in bodybuilding where I had been a fitness model in the past, and I had won some fitness model competitions in the past. So I saw these guys that I used to beat in these fitness model competitions, and I was like, you know what? If I get my body back to where it was, plus I gain maybe 5, 10 pounds, I think I could beat these guys in this new you know, uh, physique division. Huh. And so I saw them, and so after my diagnosis, eight weeks later, I entered a competition. Like I didn't even have to diet because I was already lean. Like I was skinny, right? So I... I grew into the competition. Like I yeah. grew, and then I competed, was wow. top, was third place. It was a whole new division. They didn't even know how to judge it, but they, they really gave me a lot of positive feedback. The judge came out after is like, I had you winning, but all the other judges didn't. But trust me, keep with it. Wow. Stick with it. And so like I did before with, with trying to market myself and my look to build my business, now I had to do it more than ever. Yeah. I st- I had, I'd lost all my money. So I was like, listen, I have, I have some clients. I can pay some bills. I think I can float an apartment. Um, I borrowed my sister's car. I lost my car. So I lost everything. So I had the money to just live, but now I needed to make money to save money and get back on track. And so I kept competing because every time I did that, people respected the work ethic. You got people coming up to you after the show like, oh, man, that's impressive. How did you do that? Exactly. So, you, I mean, you're gaining Facebook your followers one at a time. Yeah. Facebook took off then. And then I think the next year, Instagram started. And here I was equipped with what those platforms wanted was interesting people doing interesting stuff to give people information every single day. Yeah. And I was already equipped. I had 10 years of personal training experience at this time or maybe, maybe nine. And so uh, the bodybuilding just kept flowing. It was, I was good at it. They liked my look. And it was also great for my new diabetes lifestyle right. where I woke up, I ate the same breakfast every day, meal two, meal three, four, five, six were pretty much the same every single day. And then the only difference for me is I had to learn to do it with diabetes in this division. Right. And I'm also motivated by the fact that no other type one diabetic had ever become pro huh. um, in, in bodybuilding. There was one male who did it and he was like different organizations, yeah. but I was searching the internet everywhere and there was not a single male who ever did it. So I was driven to do something that no one had ever done. Hmm. I want to pause on something you said there that, um, because of diabetes, um, the consistency of your bodybuilding diet worked really well yes. for you. It, consistency works well for everyone. They just don't have a disease that forces them to be consistent. So just think it like that. That's what I was thinking about. Like, man, for everybody, if you'll get in a pattern, like, Hey, this is what works. I need to do the same things every day. And, and, and I see the results from that. Jason just had a disease that forced him to be that way, but almost everyone is going to find success in their, their diet and exercise by consistency. You just got forced into it. That's very true. Yeah, it's so people and I can't stand when they ask this question, but I get why they ask it. They're like, so diabetes type one diabetes was a good thing. I'm like, sure, I guess it was a good thing. Well, it's it's a part of your story. I mean, ever when when you achieve a level of success that you have, everyone wants to look for like, oh, well, it's easy for you because of this. Right. People want to find those things like, oh, well, if I just had what they have then it would be easier for me too. So people are, it's not that they're attacking you, but people want that validation for why they're not successful. 
and they don't realize that thought process is going no, on. No, they but, don't. But by saying that, like, oh, well, that's what helped you. They're, that's basically kind of their yeah, excuse for why, to, which is crazy. Because, like, oh, I wish I was diabetic, then I'd be a bodybuilder. Yeah, it's not people attacking Jason. It's just, I mean, who would who would rationally think that type 1, oh, oh yeah. man, type 1 diabetes, what an advantage for, <laughs> for physical. It eliminated a lot of my distractions. Yeah. I mean, if we look back, I had so many distractions, and I was weak. I suck at distractions. You know, I'm better than I was back then, but I, I still kind of suck at distractions. Like, But for me, type 1 eliminated the I, I stopped I completely stopped drinking alcohol, right? That alone will get you more fit and help you look better. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped all you know crazy foods. I, I I was scared to eat foods that I wasn't sure about macro wise, so I only ate foods that I was really consistent. And I could count up my macros each meal. Your macronutrients, your carbs, your fats, and your protein. That's what you have to do when you're type one. You don't right. just you don't just eat a plate of food. You look at a plate of food, you count up the carbs, and then you eat it. Now, me, I count up the protein, the carbs, and the fat. I counted all the macros because I also learned, and, and being a very meticulous person, I wanted to own this disease. I looked in further than what the doctors told me. The doctors told me the basic guideline to living with this, and they also told me I would never be a bodybuilder. They're like, mm-hmm. dude, no, you won't. Um, you're going to get fat. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Um, and I told the, I remember when I told my, my research team that was giving me the free insulin, like, I'm, I'm going to do these competitions. They were so scared. Yeah. They thought because you've got to get so lean. And when you're really lean as a type one, you have hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. Right. Lot. So I would have to lie to them about my low blood sugar. And, but what I, what I also started doing was keto. Okay. And nobody had done, nobody this. was doing that back then, especially not a type one. Yeah. And no, nobody was doing it period. And the diabetics, if you tell them not to eat carbs and they're going to get low blood sugar, the doctors will freak out yeah. because they're so scared of low blood sugar when really they should be scared the most of high blood sugar. Right. That's what slowly kills you. That's what causes ketoacidosis or your brain to fly. That's what causes wounds to not heal on your body. That's what causes to literally take off 10, 20 years of your life and develop neurological diseases like high blood sugar is 10 times worse than low. Right. Low blood sugar kill you? Yeah, you can black out. You can drive down the wrong side of the road. You can you could possibly go into a coma. But I've had low blood sugar so many times. I've built a website on low blood sugar. You know, I learned, I, I don't know if, you know, and this is not backed by science, but I feel like I'm used to being low blood sugar. So, so low blood sugar doesn't bother me as much. Yeah. We were talking to a guy who's been put through some pretty extreme circumstances and learned to, uh, make it acceptable and, and something that you can live with, right? I mean, it, it's amazing what Garrett you can knows. do when you tell yourself uh, something different, when your self-talk isn't, I can't. I think it's amazing. I'm looking at your life, man, and I'm just seeing, like, the grace of God on your life from all these bad things. Of, Don't get distracted, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jason saw a string on the table, so he had to pick it up. Right, you put that on purpose. Dude, we definitely put that there on purpose. It was a test. Don't look at the shiny bell. Uh, seriously, don't look at it. Anyways. Now he's looking at it. No, but <laughs> I think it's amazing, though, to, to look at, like, God's grace in your life of, you know, like you had that rebellious streak when you were younger, right? And it's such a negative thing at that time because, like you said, I mean, you're in, you're in prison over 30 times before you're 21 years old, and you're finding a way to do things that's not right, but there's this rebelliousness, and there's this also this resourcefulness in you. So now, you know, you don't know where that's leading you to, but you gradually apply that towards fitness and you progress and you progress and you pick up some stuff that you don't want. And then like you had type one diabetes the whole time. It's genetic, right? It's not like it just, you know, you didn't catch it in the bathroom. I don't believe that. Okay. I I don't know. I don't. I mean, there's going to be, I would like to see, 
well, first of all, no one's ever had type one in my entire family. Mm. So, um, I, my personal thought, and also there's, there is research that supports both genetics and outside causes, but I believe that some type of plastics or heavy metals or medications, um, something environmental, something, yeah, something environmental from the outside of my body caused this autoimmune disease. Wow. Got it. Okay. That, but I, I, what I think is amazing, though, is that the way that you end up getting to the biggest, you know, all the things that you were doing, you talked about modeling so you could gain a following and get customers to come to you. You didn't realize all the things that you were learning. And I just always find it interesting how people's lives come together and little seemingly loose ends end up all tying together to make sense. And what made them make sense was type 1 diabetes, which is not a blessing. Like, I don't think anybody goes like, oh, you know, praise God, I got type 1 diabetes. This is awesome. But you get something that makes you weak, and it's the thing that makes you weak that actually made you the most strong. And I, I just, man, it, that gives me chills. Like, I think that's amazing. And then next thing you know, you know, not next thing you know, but then you have this injection. You get this surge of energy where you can do anything. I love that you entered a competition straight away. You didn't waste time. You didn't think like, oh, I'll work my way up to it. And one day I'll take action. You took massive action in the moment. And from there, you just built momentum because then, like you said, all these things that are outside your control, I think a lot of people don't start things because they look at things in a straight line. They go, well, I don't think I can get to the height of that mountain because I'm just traveling like this. You know, I've got a straight line going up and they don't realize you're going to be a different person. You know, fast forward that line two years, you're a completely different person than you were two years ago. So your trajectory can Ready, change. Ready, fire, aim. Yes, outside things can come in. You don't know what's going to happen. I just love that you took massive action and then somebody comes in and gives you a compliment that instills the belief that you need to be like, hey, I'm right. I'm right about what I'm doing. And then you push on. I mean, I did not know this, but I read up a lot about bodybuilding. I've learned that they have specific criteria. Is it just for Mr. Olympia or is it for everything? Like, Because the judging is on, uh, it's on mass, symmetry, proportion, definition, and stage presence. Is that right? Yeah. Each division is different, but that could sum up every division. There's there's different male divisions, right? Okay. There's, a, there's the heavyweight bodybuilders right. that are absolutely huge and then uh now there's classic physique which is like uh your classic bodybuilders back maybe say 50s 60s 70s okay and then love that stuff physique physique was like a big like a cover model look right like a cover of men's health men's fitness um muscle and fitness um and it's grown these guys keep getting bigger and growing because they're they're learning and, and adapting that lifestyle. So, but, so I kind of was the, the face of that new division. Right. You know, they wanted a, a fitness model huh. look. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't easy. It was, it was challenging because there was, they were developing the criteria as they went. Yeah. It wasn't like they gave us some type of, uh, here's how you compete or here's what we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, they, would, they would say some basic guidelines. But and, this was, and part of this was because of some of where bodybuilding was at at that time, right? Like it had gotten it gotten pretty far from what it was with Arnold, so there's the bodybuilding sport had changed, and so who they were trying to, the division that you were in was kind of trying to bring some new attention Mainstream, and yeah. some new because most people were not like excited or attracted to a man with 350 pounds of muscle slapped on him. Small right? group of people, yeah, yeah, huh. Yeah, so they brought they brought in. I was just physique. I was just saying that to, yeah, just for that. some of the audience yeah. who aren't like bodybuilding fans. Growing up around Pastor Keith, I mean, I always grew up looking at bodybuilding magazines right. and him talking about it. So I understand at least some of the the history. Yeah, this was their attempt to grow the IFBB, like right. to, with more mainstream uh, people that 
they, they could relate to us because we weren't so far advanced. We weren't. Well, you know, and it was also monsters. that most people would say, like, I would want to look like that. Whereas you'd ask, you know, 90 out of 99 out of 100 people on the street would look at these guys who are 350 pounds and say, oh, I don't want to look yeah, like that. Bodybuilders but they would see, that. But they would the see you and say, I want to look guys. like that. There were some respectful guys, but a lot of bodybuilders, man, we came in and stepped on their toes quick. Yeah. I mean, we started taking contracts. We started uh, appearances. And uh, what's funny, I'd love to talk to about because some of them will admit this, and but some of them won't because they're, they're egos, right? Because they're – but – when a smaller guy, right, and we weren't small, but we were smaller. When a smaller guy with less muscle comes in and starts getting more attention than the bigger guy yeah. with more muscle, who's been actually working longer, oh man, you get some clash of the clash of the titans there for sure. But, but it I wasn't, wasn't there to step on any toes. I was there, just like I was back at Lifetime, just like Zig Ziglar said, uh, the Smile and Compliment Club. I was there to shake hands, kiss babies, and make yeah. friends. With it also wasn't your fault. The the judges in that sport took it in the wrong direction, but that's a different conversation. I love you. Thanks for saying that for me, bro. Yeah. I love you. Like, <laughs> that is, it, yes. It wasn't, the, the, the judge, I didn't make the sport. I no, didn't make the, it. the judges just, took it away from where it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a cycle. It's all coming back around. Yeah, we don't want to get too much of bodybuilding talk. Your no, followers are like, ah, it's interesting no. though. I think I mean I didn't know a lot about bodybuilding, so I kind of I enjoyed researching it. Yeah, we couldn't so, tell that by the way that you look, Nick. Okay, dude. Shut <laughs> up. I mean, there was always going to be one joke. It's okay. It's no, okay. I think everyone looks at Nick and says like, man, this guy's probably an archive of bodybuilding information. Yeah, obviously. You know, when you're, you're putting up a clean one fifteen on Nick, the bench. Nick press, starts you know? every podcast with you know trying to jab me, so I got to throw some in every once. You in know what? And I got to say, I'm so happy that you did. Because it's just nice that you, you know, throw something back. A lot of times it's like talking to a brick wall. So thank you for returning fire. Garrett, I appreciate it. You know? Okay. Um, we could talk about Jason's story for a yes. long time. I, I think we did a good job of unpacking some of the yeah. lessons and, and nuggets in his story. I want to end on just a couple questions yes. uh, for Jason. One of the most, uh, I would say to me, honestly, inspiring things about you is to have a disease and do something really in spite of your disease. I think there's a lot of people that can relate, maybe not to being a, you know, at the top of physique bodybuilding, but I think there's a lot of people who, who can relate to, hey, I've got this autoimmune disease. Or I've got this injury, you know, like, oh, well, I can't be a runner because I got knee problems or I can't get into yes. or, you know, I can't lose weight because I have, you know, X, Y or Z disease. Like I've received this condition and I've accepted it. Right. What would you say to people like that? Um, you know, those limited beliefs will limit you more than just what you think, you know, you can't do. Like, for example, you said like someone with hurt knees that says that they can't ever play sports or do anything active ever again. You know, that that's going to hurt a lot of things in your life. It's going to hurt your relationships. Mm. It's going to hurt your finances. It's it's going to it's when you have limited beliefs, it really is is you know, a extremely life-changing negative thing. Um so for example, me so when I when I saw that no one had ever been a type 1 and I or type 1 pro bodybuilder, um and, and I went out and I sought out to do that. And then it turned into more than I ever even had any goals. I mean, you know, multiple Olympias and traveling the world and making lots of money and yeah. covers of magazines and all this, all this cool stuff that I never even envisioned. It was simply just started with a belief. Mm. So if they can take something from that, don't let your beliefs, Henry, we've already got enough going on against this. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. With and, a simple thought process. Yeah, and just do what you can, right? So many people with limiting belief, they'll say like, oh, well, I can't, I know I can't be, I know 
I can't be a billionaire, yeah. so I'm probably not supposed to be successful. Like, you didn't say, like, oh, I don't think I can be number one, so I won't even try. Like, at least take steps, right? Do what you can. Is that what, would you say you started that way? Like, you had belief, but were you thinking, like, I can be number one in, in my area of bodybuilding in the no. world? I didn't think I could be number one in my area. I, I, I mean, I didn't, my belief was to simply win each day, each week. That's and good. It, it was just to simply make, have, have gratitude and be grateful. The fact that I wasn't sick anymore. Yeah. But also it was, you know, to slowly each week, save up a little bit. Of well, money. that's funny. It's funny. You say that you were still sick, but you changed the nature of your condition and you've yeah. changed the way I'm that you felt. Right it. What yeah. do we have to do before we started? Yeah. I, had to, I had to relax down. Yeah, Jason, Jason came over to my house on low blood sugar. We yeah. had to like let him eat and get some water for a few minutes before we could start. Yeah. 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 We, we, we wouldn't have had a very good conversation, <laughs> but yeah, so that's funny you put that way. Yeah. Cause I, it, it takes someone from the outside. It's, I, if you asked me technically, yeah, I live with a sickness. Sure. I don't ever think that I'm sick. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I, I like. That. I. Uh, they told me that we. I had comorbidities, and you know, I don't want to say the <laughs> the words here to get your podcast flagged and censored. But yeah, I got the virus, right? Yeah. And then, uh, but I didn't have any type of beliefs that oh, well, I've got this. Thing. No, I take care of myself. I eat healthy. That's I have, right. I have a, a very, a very structured vitamin and holistic protocol, and so I got it, and I was fine on day five. I was working out on day six. You know, and, um, but that, it didn't just start with that week. You know, I've been taking care of myself, you know, my whole life ever. And especially when I was diagnosed with this disease. So, you know, our belief system and that, you know, we want to do what we can to achieve our best, um, doesn't pay out tomorrow. Yes. But you will be like me if you, if, if you simply each day, each week do small steps and, and do what you can to reach your best, you know, at whatever God is pulling you or whatever, you know, for the people, I'm sure most of your people are got are believers, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe something's pulling you, some mysterious mind yeah. wave. Your, your mind is pulling you in some direction. If you work at that every single day, you will be like me, and you will look back at where you once were and find out that you accomplished more than you ever thought you would. Nick, if I could just, like boil down what he just said yes. and and his story the two things that were really jason's superpower or key to his success are gratitude and belief which yes. are things we talk about on this yes. podcast all the time which i knew would come out of your story so thank you for for saying what i knew was in you i have one more question and this is really for i know some of the people that are going to come listen to this podcast this is for the listeners that i know you brought here um young men who look up to you and are saying like, I want to be like Jason, what would you say to some young men who want to be a bodybuilder or who want to do what you've done? I would say you won't be good at it. It will not be, it will, it will not last very long if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Ooh, that's good. That's good. You but won't be successful. Now you could be like some guys I know you could actually make it to the top. You could win the whole dang thing. Then what? And then it'll all come crashing down. Yeah. Because I know them all. I know them all would never name names because that's, that's not cool. But I've seen some people rise to fame and crash hard. Because it's not what they thought it was. Because they were doing it for the wrong reasons. Doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, I, don't, I, wasn't, I didn't ever win 
And I'll, I'll still always have a chip on my shoulder for, for coming so close to not winning the big show. Um, now I've turned that into business, though. I got mouths to feed. I got college yeah. funds to pay for. I got, I've got yeah, we won't We won't wealth. name names, but there's a lot of winners who haven't found the success. Yeah, and in certain ways, like the relationships I've built, that the opportunity I've gotten. You know, I mean, political figures and yeah. um, CEOs. Um, Goes back to the smiles, right? The smile and compliment club. Yeah, I smile like and that. compliment club. Yeah. I like that. If you don't smile and compliment somebody after you hear this podcast, you didn't learn anything from this podcast. We're going to end on that. That's so good. So Jason's story, use gratitude, use belief to get to where God has set you up for, to achieve your destiny. Mm-hmm. Hold on to gratitude, hold on to belief, and let the Smile and Compliment Club open doors for you. Yeah, I love that. Jason, thank you so much for joining us, man. We just want to honor you and say thank you for taking time to come talk to us and come on our podcast and spend time with us. I really enjoyed hearing your story, man. I didn't know a lot of that, and I did a lot of research a lot of research on you, so I enjoyed that tremendously, man. I appreciate you uh, coming on here and sharing your story with us, dude. And, I'll come back again. This yes, is only sir. the second podcast I've done, I think, in the last three years. Oh, awesome. Well, we'd love to have you back on again, man. Guys, this is the first time it's going to be on YouTube, by the way. So if you want to see just how Jack Jason is, <laughs> and if he's still up for it, we're going to do a flex together so you can see what me at 180 looks like compared to Jason's guns. Oh, Lord. So this is going to be interesting. I'm not pulling my sleeves up, you'll notice. These guys are doing this. My sleeves won't come up over my, my shirt, my biceps, guys. <laughs> Anyways, these are I haven't edgy. worked out yet. All right, dude. I did 10 push-ups <laughs> last week, so you don't test me, bro. All right, well, anyways, thank you again, man. Guys, we'll see you again soon. Take care. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Remember to share, like, subscribe. If you think that this would be something that someone would enjoy, please send it to them. We appreciate it all. If you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Instagram at The Impossible Life. You'll find us on there. You can also email at impossiblelifepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you want to get in touch and find out about Garrett's personal or business coaching, that's the way to do it. Thank you again for listening. Go out there, think better, and live the impossible. See you again soon. Long before ice baths were a thing, Garrett was doing them in the SEAL teams. Now we do them as part of our daily morning routine to make us better. We are very pleased to have partnered with Freedom Plunge. Freedom Plunge is on a mission to bring cold exposure to everyone. They believe that cold plungers should be affordable, easy to use, and represent the customer themselves. Cold plunges shouldn't cost a fortune, and these ones don't. Garrett and I both use our Freedom Cold Plunge every single day. It's customized. You can put whatever you want on them. For us, we have our Impossible Life logos. And here's the best part. Just for listening to this podcast, you can go to freedomplunge.com, use the discount code IMPOSSIBLE, and save $500 off any Freedom Plunge. These things are half the price of the ones that you see on the internet, plus you're going to save an additional $500 with code IMPOSSIBLE. Go to freedomplunge.com and get yourself one now. You will not regret it.